But first, we're going to dive into the contentious history of trade between China and the United States. In the 18th century, luxury goods like Chinese porcelain and silk could be found in homes around the 13 colonies. Chinese tea even played a starring role in the American Revolution. The very tea that was dumped into Boston Harbor uh, in the 1770s was tea from China, uh, brought by the British East India Company. This is historian John Haddad. He says trade with China became even more important after the revolution. That's why a group of Yankee merchants set sail for the port of Canton in 1784. Now, the Chinese were more than happy to sell tea and porcelain, but they weren't interested in buying anything from the Americans. British traders had run into the same problem. When the emperor gave his famous response to King George III saying, we don't, you don't have anything that we want, he was in fact incorrect. It turns out that the world did have products that the Chinese wanted to buy. Actually, just one product, opium. Even though this highly addictive drug was illegal in China, the British had been smuggling opium in from India since the early 1700s. American merchants wanted in on the action. So they found their own source of opium in Turkey and started smuggling it into China in the 1820s. It brought devastation to Chinese society. You could say it ripped the fabric of Chinese society because so many people who might otherwise have had productive lives as fathers or as workers of some sort were instead spending their time and spending their money not on nutrition, not on raising their families. They were instead wasting their money and their time servicing their opium addictions. So there are millions of people involved, both users and then the people who depended on users. Now, there were also missionaries stationed in Canton who were outraged by the opium trade. And you can understand yeah. why they were trying to sell the gospel to the Chinese and having a pretty tough time doing so. Because the Chinese, the missionaries said, associated Western civilization with the Bible and with opium. So uh, play it out. Tell us what happens in this uh, conflict uh, among traders and missionaries and, and what the long-term impact is on China itself. Now, I should say here first that China was closed at this time mm -hmm. in its history. By closed, I mean that a European or American ship could not sail to China and weigh anchor at any Chinese port. You could go to one and only one place, and that was Canton, China. And this was how China tried to maintain control over its foreign trade and any ideas that foreigners might bring. Well, how did it all resolve? The opium crisis grew worse and worse, and something had to be done. Now, this is, well, there had been little crackdowns previously, but none of them had been successful. And foreigners usually laughed at them and said, well, the status quo will return shortly. And they were always right. This time, though, China meant business. In 1839, the Chinese cracked down on British and American opium smugglers, confiscating and destroying millions of dollars worth of drugs. Chinese officials also set up a blockade of Canton, so no ships could enter or leave the harbor. The lucrative China trade came to a halt. China said if the foreigners promised to stop selling opium, legal foreign trade could resume. 
the Americans quickly agreed. The British were another story, however, and they sent word to Parliament and to the Queen that injustices had happened in China, and England responded by sending state-of-the-art warships. And we know what's coming. The Opium War is what's coming. Uh, this force, when it arrived, had its way with Chinese forces. England won the war, and a treaty was signed called the Treaty of Nanking, and the Treaty of Nanking opened up China to British trade. So, John, uh, technically, uh, opium is still illegal, and this is an illegal trade, isn't it? Yes, the opium trade would continue as usual, but now China had lost the will and the resolve mm. to try to block it. So opium trading becomes much more common after the opium war than before. Right. And our and righteous the, Americans come back and rejoin the trade? They did. And they resumed opium trading. China has stopped cracking down on opium and yes. is now looking the other way. China is weakened at this point. The people who are promoting morality, of course, uh, are the missionaries. We've left them uh, to the side for quite a while now. Uh, they were cheering on that anti-opium initiative, but it failed. So how does this play out? The missionaries found themselves in an interesting position. They abhorred the traders, always did, because the traders brought opium. They also were angry at the Chinese government for remaining closed, and they desperately wanted to, for China mm -hmm. to open up to, to missionary activity. So their view on the opium war was that it was an unjust war, yet they were in favor <laughs> of those British gunboats blowing China open because they wanted access to Chinese souls. So missionaries were in this strange position of being against the purpose of the opium war to protect the opium trade, but rooting for the British because they viewed the British as the hand of God, a battering ram to open up China to evangelical activity. So the bottom line is that uh, Christianity followed the opium trade, that that was the vector. That's what opened China. And that uh, of was course, the, the missionaries wouldn't say that, but uh, yes. their free riding on that, uh, on the diffusion of opium and that uh, vigorous trade. Yes. Well, John, I get the impression that the opium wars uh, were a tremendously important turning point in Chinese history. The opium war really initiated a new phase in Chinese history and a sad one. It was a phase of a hundred year phase of humiliation for the Chinese mm -hmm. during which the Qing dynasty had been knocked off its pedestal and that means that both Chinese civilians and foreigners alike both viewed it as weak and in decay. The end of the Opium War, uh, China must now put down internal rebellions that challenge the Qing Dynasty's sovereignty. And foreigners see that they can bully China, that they can set up little fiefdoms, if you will, right. in the treaty ports and then gradually expand their advantage. So we begin the stage where China is not in control of its own territory as foreigners grow in influence. And you could say that opium uh, penetration into China anticipated that. How do Chinese people remember this horrible century you're describing? You know, in our American memory, 
we don't tend to think much about it. What Most memory? Americans, yeah. yeah, what memory? Now, you shift to the Chinese person. To many of them, especially those who study history, and most of them do, the opium war and the opium addiction crisis, it's as if these things happened yesterday. And mm. Chinese people today still feel acutely the humiliation that began with the opium war. They still think about that today, which is why when you turned on your televisions in 2008 and you watched the Olympics, you could probably see, even if you didn't know much Chinese history, that China was saying through the Olympics and that elaborate opening ceremony, we have arrived. We are back to being the Middle Kingdom, the center of the world. John Haddad, professor of American studies and popular culture at Penn State University, Harrisburg, is the author of America's First Adventure in China, Trade, Treaties, Opium, and Salvation. John, uh, thanks for joining us today. That was a terrific interview. Peter, I enjoyed every minute. Earlier, we heard from Gordon Chang. He's a historian at Stanford University and the author of Fateful Ties, A History of America's Preoccupation with China. 